and welcome to the Original Content Podcast. I'm Anthony Ha. I'm Jordan Crook. And I'm Daryl Etherington. And every week we review a new streaming show or movie. Um, actually, for the last few weeks, we've been mostly focused on House of the Dragon, which aired its season finale last night as we record this. And so what we're going to do this week is we'll talk a little bit about some news and then we'll do kind of a full season spoiler free or we'll do our best to keep it spoiler free wrap up. So if you've been, you know, not following the full season, you can still listen to our review, get our thoughts on whether or not it's worth jumping into the show. And then we'll do a super spoiler filled discussion of the final two episodes of the season. So before we get to that, let's start with some Netflix news. Um, they had their earnings recently, and uh, I think part of the reason it's been a little more interesting this year is that Netflix had two pretty rough quarters before, and I think it felt like, oh, is the sort of bloom off the rose as far as streaming businesses and Wall Street go? So this quarter was not necessarily a home run quarter, but they finally got back to some growth and they added 2.4 million subscribers in the past quarter. They're anticipating adding another 4.5 million uh, subscribers in, in the next quarter. So it feels like things are not quite as alarming as they were in, uh, you know, earlier this year, but, but they're also still not Great. We're we're not at the in the days where Netflix is just adding a crazy number of subscribers every every quarter. It feels like we're kind of in this different era for the company. Right, but they'll never get back to that, right? Like the that era. It's, too, is gone. it's concentration, right? Unless like right. an entire new market basically opens up. Yeah, and I I mean I and they're sort of open about that in the sense that they partly because of necessity. I think they're trying to shift the attention away from uh, growth at any cost, which is, I think, how all these streaming services have been evaluated in the past. It's like, we don't care like how much money you're making. It's just, are you growing at a fast enough rate? And now I think they're emphasizing, hey, we're actually bringing in a lot of revenue. We're going to be hoping to bring more revenue in soon. Um, and compared to, I think, pretty much every other streaming service, which is newer, uh, Netflix is actually making a profit, um, whereas pretty much every other service is prop is almost certainly losing money. Mm -hmm. You know, I wonder about this, right? Because like as a public company, you just have to keep making more money than you did last quarter, right? Which right. like, is there such a thing as just, we make a lot of money. We make a lot of money every quarter. It's about the same every quarter. We spend about the same every quarter and we just steady as she goes. Like, that's not a thing, right? With public shareholders, you basically have to continue right. to grow in some way, right? Like, whether well, it's to do things more efficiently or pre create new products or whatever. There are some that are like, what are they called? I forget, like mature, stable, whatever. And they usually figure out a way to pay dividends and they don't necessarily have to go like so far up they can kind of just keep even and then people will invest as those in those as like a, a relatively stable, stable hedge against uncertainty in the rest of the market but they don't win big right they're just like sit there i think Safe. most like carriers are kind of that but i'm not sure anymore right i think there are different stages in a company's life and it's not necessarily the expectation is not always that you have to be growing at this um, impressive amount all the time, but certainly that's the hope. And and mm -hmm. that is part of the game when you become a public company. And pro probably part of the answer is that if you want to just, yeah, have like be stable and just making a steady amount of revenue, then you're probably not, uh, then the public markets are probably not the, the right fit for you on some level. Right. Um, which I mean, which is, I, I think it is really unhealthy. I think that that actually, you know, that's, I, I think that in a lot of cases, um, probably our, uh, businesses and culture would be healthier if, if it, they weren't driven to sort of pursue growth at all costs. Yeah. And that's why Patagonia. Well, you don't <laughs> shut up. You don't want to end up like a blockbuster, right? Like, yeah. I think there's a certain amount of like, you have to be able to adapt. And I hate the idea. Like, I mean, Yahoo is a great example of just like 
back in the day with AOL clawing onto those dial-up, that dial-up revenue as like, Mm -hmm. you know, and like 70 year olds paying for their email address and Blockbuster is a good example. There are several of them. So you have to like be nimble enough to say, Hey, here's how the world's changing. And we're going to meet that meet them where they are right. or whatever. But I do think like, I mean, Netflix adding advertising and advertising tier feels like that thing where they were like, we're not going to get new subscribers. So how do we re-slice the pie in right. a way that brings more back, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Although in that case, I think part of the hope is that these are subscribers who wouldn't, who hadn't signed up before and wouldn't sign up for the full price ad free version. Um, so it is also I just like, an attempt don't know who those people are. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe they gave up I on do. Netflix. I, I also think there's a whole generation that's literally just a game of patience for Netflix that's like, was on cable, is like an older generation that was on cable and moved into the internet era. And basically, we're like, my internet and cable bill is extraordinarily high how did it go from 80 dollars a month a few years ago to like 300 dollars a month fuck cable and like but like isn't quite yet ready to do the extra 85 90 bucks that it costs to have all the streaming services right so maybe they're on netflix but maybe they're like on hulu or hbo or whatever or prime and they're like slowly but surely inching their way into one service and, a, and another one. Like you'd think that the per, the majority of them went Netflix first, but that might not be true. You mm-hmm. know, you might have free Prime and you might just be chilling on Prime or whatever. So, Right. Or like your favorite network TV show was on Hulu or, right. or again, I mean, even you guys, I think on past episodes have talked a little bit about feeling that Netflix doesn't have that it doesn't have the bangers right now yeah yes absolutely right but i think it doesn't have like the word of mouth titles no um i think it's also like there's when you were talking about that right now it feels like there's a time coming when maybe all of these people probably a few years down the road but when they all reach the the sort of i guess what do you call it um saturation point and then they like just do the cable thing again like it's already almost approaching cable in so many ways and then you can foresee a time where they're like all right look we understand that everybody has service fatigue and it benefits all of us if we just like acquiesce to like help out each other by doing a discounted bundle or whatever and then it's like well now we're just in territory like cable territory yeah i don't think that's gonna happen no, I mean, I do think that you're right. I think you're right about the cycle. Like, I think eventually all of it has to consolidate. Mm-hmm. I just don't know that it'll be under the ISPs because I don't think they can afford it. Oh, I don't think it'll be under the ISPs. I think it'll be some kind of like, I it'll be some like conglomeration deal yeah, between yeah. the actual tech giants is yeah. what you're saying. Like Netflix and Amazon and Hulu will all come to the table and be like, what do you think? We can yeah. do this. Yeah. That that's more likely. I just don't think the ISPs. Can, I think that Netflix and all these folks are like happily choking them to death. Yeah. Like yeah. goodbye. <laughs> no, I don't think they want to hand back the networks any more power. Like I don't know if that ever goes back. Yeah. Yeah. Right. But it is this period of um, also like increasing fragmentation and and what, at a certain point it has to gravitate right. back together. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But I, th- I mean, I think also has been striking in terms of just thinking about Netflix's role in that landscape is that for the past couple of months, a lot of the conversation around streaming TV has really focused on these two giant fantasy shows, House of the Dragon and Rings of Power. And, you know, Netflix is basically completely sidelined from that conversation. I think they've kind of come back with like the the Dahmer show and, and The Watcher and some other things that I think are kind of getting... Mm. A similar level of season three, sure. (laughs) But but definitely for like a period, it really felt it's all B plus, all these giant shows that uh, yeah, and and Netflix was really off to the side, which I don't think is where they want to be. Yeah, I wonder what it's going to be because I don't think the Watcher fills that gap. I mean, I always I use House of the Cards so often, but there's. It's just such an obvious one, right? Like that was such a big budget, like Kevin Spacey, who's like a total 
creep. But like back then we didn't think he was a creep or like we thought he was an acceptable creep, I guess. And like, I don't know. It was just such a big deal. I remember like billboards and buses and, you know, and there were a handful of those and they, it just doesn't feel like there's been one in a while, but we could have this conversation every single episode. Why don't we hot D it up? Let's do it. Okay. So let's uh, talk about the first season of house of the dragon. Now that we're at the point where we've seen all 10 episodes. um, And I, I don't know that we need to do a ton of, summary or catch up i think most people at least have a general sense of what it is but it's a it's a prequel to game of thrones about uh, a dispute over dynastic uh <laughs> succession that eventually leads to civil war and i yeah okay we've seen it so what do, what do we think i think um okay so i think that there is something really clever i have three high level thoughts one I think it's clever that I, I, I at first was worried about the fact that we weren't venturing out throughout all of Westeros and we didn't have like a super large ensemble cast of like multiple stories threading and weaving because I think that's part of what made Game of Thrones special. But I actually think that like the palace intrigue from basically two points of view, the greens and the blacks, is actually more impactful, the s- smaller and more focal it is. So that's thought one. Thought two, changing cast members, even though I get it, this was like basically a season of exposition. It's like a season of setting the stage and showing how all the different pieces and interactions moved against one another over the course of what, like 25 years, 20, 25 years in order to get us to season two, which Mm -hmm. is where I think things will start moving at a faster pace. Because of that, changing cast members so frequently has left us relatively unattached and then on top of that you layer in the fact that they none of them are completely good or completely bad they all have redeeming qualities and bad qualities which i think was true most of the way in game of thrones with a couple standouts on the good side and the bad side yeah. joffrey was fully evil aria was i think fully good or you know um certainly in early seasons yeah right so like i you know I think that that part makes it hard to feel attached to anything. And the third thing I'll say, cause I said it in episode one and two, where we were having this conversation about like the male gaze and how women are represented. It's still really complicated for me. Like I, I find myself really frustrated by it in a lot of ways. And the showrunners talk about it. I, I think it bothers me more to watch the showrunners talk about it than it does to watch the actual episode. So like, oh, you know, in this moment where she's supposed to be making big decisions, she's having a baby instead. And it's she's at a war with her body and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, mm, we fucking get it. Sad. Like, we get it. <laughs> yeah. Like, I, you know, it sucks, whatever, to have to choose between the two. Right. Which is like every woman's curse. But it's just like, if that's the if that's their take on like essentially showing this world through a woman's eyes is like they have babies and that's really hard and having babies makes it hard to be anything but a mother. That's like the tropiest, most bullshit thing. And I get, we have to say like, Oh, thousands of years ago, it was even harder than it is today. But it's like, can we do other shit? Like, can we just Mm. at some point start doing something else where we're looking at like the power and complexity of women without the idea of like, because they're moms, it's harder. You know, like I just, I'm over that at this point. And those are my three high level thoughts. I'll, I'll shut up now. Yeah. I mean, I think it's striking that, I mean, obviously very intentional and a big point of conversation that a lot of the key moments in this show are really structured around childbirth. And that in some ways, I mean, especially when, when the show first started felt like, a really striking and impressive and and i mean especially that first uh, childbirth in the in the first episode is so horrifying and and difficult to watch that yeah i mean i, I thought that was like i don't want to say like great but like you know it was like a, it was like a very like uh solid choice for the show and it felt like it was doing exploring new territory and then as it's kind of kept coming back to it there is a little bit of a sense of okay 
we, uh, you know, we get it. And so, um, yeah, I was watching original, like the old game of Thrones, um, recently because i was just like yearning for more hot d and game of thrones exists so i was watching it and there are several scenes like there's one with catelyn stark and brienne of tarth talking about how brienne never knew her mother and catelyn's like yeah i lost my mother on the on the childbirth bed or whatever on the birthing bed when i was really young and what comes after is so much harder and then there's another scene where Sansa just gets her first period and she's talking with Cersei and Sansa's like, yeah, I didn't know it would be so messy. And Cersei's like, just wait until you have your first baby. And there's like this allusion to it. And it almost feels like the showrunners at Hot D were like, yeah, that's, that's what's going to be the women thing. Like we need to focus more on women and their side of the story and what it's like life is like for them back then. So like, we'll just do, yeah, we, it needs to be violent though. Like it has mm -hmm. to be. Cause like, that's what is up. Like for men, it's violence. And for women, it's probably violence, right? Like that's their greatest journey. So let's just focus on that as opposed to the fact that like Rhaenyra has five children, right? Like raising them, three of them bastards and two of them products of incest. <laughs> Can we focus on the, the idea that like raising a child to be a good person is difficult, right? Like, I don't know. It just feels really played out. Like if we have a lot of childbirth in season two, I'm going to be pissed. Yeah. Like, let's get over it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I didn't, I think, I think you're exactly right with like thinking of like, they just really were doing it in a very basic way of like this plus this. And then all the guys are just walking around being like, they're just guys. We don't even, we're not going to bring anything. Like it's the classic example of like, oh, but how is it for you as a woman or whatever? Right. And it's like not even raised at all for the it's men. It's not even a English. real question. Yeah. Yeah. And it was it was frustratingly basic like it did feel like a like a treatment of the subject from like i don't know a decade ago or something instead of like now so and i, I don't like mistrust that, but... i don't mistrust the effort by the showrunners right, to be right. like i don't distrust their intentions i think they were like hey we didn't do a good enough job with game of thrones we're in 2022 let's like put effort into thinking about what it means to be a woman on the show but then they did none of the work. Yeah. Like they did none of the research. They did none of the like reading and conversations that they needed to do for it to be nuanced in any way. They were like, hmm, in my like lizard man brain, I think for women, it's like this thing where they have babies and that right. sucks and they could die. And yeah. Okay. We're going to go with that. Let's run with that. You know, and it's just so basic. Like you said, Daryl. I mean, I do think, and this was also a problem with Game of Thrones is for whatever reason, when the people behind the show talked about it, it often came across as worse. the most reductive version of whatever was happening. And that, I guess, to put it charitably, they were generally better writers than they were talkers about it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it makes you feel like they didn't get it. Like you watch it, you watch like Daenerys, like become the mother of dragons in the fire naked and you're like wow what a moment you know and then they're talking about it and like i mean they never said this but it almost feels like they're like yeah we had to have our tits out because that's how women are powerful like that's what it feels like <laughs> you know and so you're like wait we could have there's so much you could do there but you actually didn't get it all along and it makes me feel cheated as a viewer because right. i was giving you a lot of credit while i was watching it Mm -hmm. I, I think the other thing I would give them a little bit, I mean, I think there is something that for good reason we're inherently suspicious of now is if it's just like, hey, it's these two guys like talking about how this show is super feminist that we're just kind of, hmm, this, this doesn't. It's automatically like minus 10 points for Slytherin. Right. My yeah. sense though is that the show, I mean, not to say that Game of Thrones didn't have any uh women writing or directing because it did but that it seems like there are more women behind the camera more women writing uh scripts for the show so it's um a little bit more balanced than game of thrones was so it's not yeah. just the two showrunners mm -hmm. yeah i agree 
And I don't, again, like I were maybe making a bigger thing of it than it is. I think it's just like after the last episode, I was like, are we really committing 15 minutes of the finale to this again? You know, like it was just like, I don't know. I just felt like I needed to press the like eject button on (laughs) like, let's be done with that. Yeah. I mean, to one of your other points, so this what has become kind of clear over this this season is that, you know, this whole show is basically framed as being about what's called, you know, the Dance of Dragons, which is a giant civil war within the Targaryens that on a high level, I mean, really is hugely destructive and, and I think really diminish, like is, is bad, really bad for Westeros, really bad for the Targaryens, really bad for the presence of dragons on, uh, on this world. Um, but this first season is all about setting it up, as you said. And I think there have been really good performances, really good moments, but there has been this whole sense of, oh, like that basically, finally, finally, as the season ends, we're getting to the civil war. And I there is something a little bit deflating about that of like, oh, like is all the interesting stuff happening next season rather than this season? I do think that the last three episodes have avoided that sense a little bit. It was like, okay, this is what we've been yeah. building to. There's movement. You know, kind of, you know, actually the conflict is is here. Yeah, I completely agree with that. Mm-hmm. The last three episodes really swooped in with some momentum. Um, but the last three episodes also had all the cast members in place, basically, right? Like right. maybe the last two, or was it the last three where all the kids well, are so the, Yeah, the, I'm starting with the final Viserys episode, which I think is is just, to me, like, just dramatically really well done. And then we have these two parallel episodes, which is one is about how the Greens respond. Right. Um, I mean, this is kind of a spoiler, but at this point, I think pretty obvious how the Greens respond to Viserys' death and then how the Blacks the respond Blacks. to his death. And I think that was smart. I think I was annoyed watching the Greens episode without any Rhaenyra in it. I barely even noticed that the Greens weren't in the final episode, which (laughs) shows which side I'm on, I guess. But um, yeah, I think you're right. I think there was a lot of momentum being built, which I mean, in and of itself is kind of deflating because I knew in the final moments of the finale, I was like, this is it. We're not going to get another scene. And it's right at the precipice of so much. And I wonder how it makes me wonder how we kick off season two. It also makes me wonder I mean, we've got 18 months before we get it. So is that when it's coming? I mean, 2024. So mm. I guess like 14 at best, but I wouldn't assume that they would drop it in February. They're going to put it out over the summer or something. Yeah. So. Right. Cause I think they're still writing the second season now. So it's probably going to be some number of months before they start shooting again. And But like, if you think of any other show being purely exposition for an entire season, for an entire opening season, Mm -hmm. you would be like, fuck this. I'm not watching this. Right. So like normally the framework of series, television series, is you have an action packed kind of first season that drops you right into the action. You're catching up as you go. A lot's happening. And then they back up in season two. They say, okay. Here's what's up. Here's how all this played out. Here's the backstory. Here's the context. And then we rev back up for season three. And Hot D basically just traded on the capital, the equity provided by Game of Thrones and said, we're just going to start from the very beginning. Mm -hmm. Right. There's no way you could have made a show at this budget level with that was essentially just setting up season two, unless, except for the fact that it's the prequel to Game of Thrones. It has so much like inherent credit built into it that we're all like, okay, fine. Take us through 10 full episodes of the history books, basically. Yeah. I do think it was like really well made on its own, but I, I think you're right that I wouldn't, I would, that wouldn't have even been enough to stick me with it if I wasn't like, oh yeah, right. Like I need this. I need to, it's in this world and I know that it would be an interesting thought experiment. I wonder if we could get there are people, people that have... haven't seen Game of Thrones who I thought Danny in. hadn't seen it. Yeah, she hadn't, but like her interest in it is not organic. Like I'm like, watch this show with me now. Right, 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 right. 
every time. And yeah, she's like, oh, we have hot D this week. And she shows a little bit of like organic interest, but like none of that would have happened. Like it would be an interesting thought experiment to take someone who had like never seen anything and been like, just expose them to a trailer naturally. Mm-hmm. But like, will they watch it and stick with it without knowing anything? Yeah, it's a good question. Mm-hmm. I will say that overall, I mean, as much as there are things that I criticize about the first season, a lot of things, I did think it's like incredibly well-made television. I would absolutely recommend it if people are, are interested. Um, it, In a lot of ways, it feels like a darker show than Game of Thrones. I mean, which is kind of, I mean, I, you can kind of get into the, the weeds of like, well, like is this worse than this? And I mean, they're both pretty dark shows, but there was this sort of propulsiveness to or momentum to Game of Thrones in the sense that there was going to be this giant war with the ice zombies that was eventually coming. And, and you had sort of a, a sense of hope. Whereas here, there's the thing that you're that's coming up, you kind of know is not going to end particularly well. And so it's much, and, 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 you know, the showrunners have said this is that they see this as much more of like just a kind of classic tragedy. And so I always thought every episode was like, well done, but I was never that excited about watching the next one. Cause there was just this sense of gloom and dread over everything, but I still recommend it. I think you're absolutely right. I think there's like, only in Game of Thrones, there was this sense of good versus evil that was like strong throughout eight seasons. And that doesn't seem to be the case here. So it is a lot of doom and gloom. I also feel like from a visual perspective of just on its merits, the things that you witness in Game of Thrones and be fair, we have 85 hours versus 10 hours or whatever. So like there's a lot, it's weighted on its own. But Game of Thrones had this like, grotesque violence but it never it it not never but it didn't feel quite as emotional it almost feels like every time that we see something that shocks us in house of the dragon it has a really compelling emotional element to it as well whereas like in game of thrones they would just like casually throw in like a you know someone losing their leg, having mm-hmm. their legs sawed off. And you're like, I don't care about that person. I don't care about the person sawing the leg off. They're just showing it to me. I don't know. I don't know why. Right. And in hot D you're like, every time something really visually shocking happens, you're also like, Holy shit. That means a lot. Like right. I feel the emotional weight of that as well. And I think that adds a lot of weight to it. It's really heavy. You know, are you still with us, Daryl? Or are you like blogging? No, I'm, <laughs> Oh, well, I'm trying to keep the wheels on the bus over here a little bit, but, um, yeah, I, I mean, I like this, the, I like the thing overall, but I do, and I think it's way better than the original in a lot of ways. And especially in the way that they like, don't just throw in random shit, except for when they were like early in the season. And I guess they were trying to get our attention, but these last ones really feel like they refine the model to like, okay, now you understand what the show is. And also we're done with the stuff that was like obligatory game of thrones stuff and now it can be interesting but i'll we'll see if they continue that i think the last episode was like especially just it didn't feel like uh it didn't feel like game of thronesy in the way where it's like okay we're done with this and you're gonna have to wait another 18 months so we're gonna do like the most dramatic possible thing it just felt like it's moving the story forward in an appropriate way and I don't know. I liked it, but I can see how some people would be like, that's not enough for me, but I don't know. Right. There's very little action in the final episode. It's, it, I mean, there, it sort of ends with this pretty spectacular scene, which we'll talk about, but otherwise it's, it's again, like a lot of the show, people talking angrily or various emotions in hallways, mm-hmm. but yeah, let's, let's move into spoilers. And so if you, if you have not, watch the entire first season of house of the dragon you don't want to be spoiled you should stop listening now and i think we can probably talk about the two episodes kind of in at the same time because in a lot of ways they are these parallel episodes of seeing how these two different camps uh react to to the death um um i don't know yeah what what stood out that you guys want to talk about um 
so I think Allison for for episode nine, I think the performance. Um, who plays Allison? What's her name again? Olivia Cook. Olivia Cook. Olivia Cook delivers a fantastic performance. I think like the her her love for Rhaenyra and the kind of like lingering feelings she has from that last supper dinner really show through in the situation around the fact that the small council has basically plotted for Aegon to be to ascend no matter what and despite whatever she heard from Viserys you know the night before they were going to do that no matter what and she her reaction to it I think is part of you is kind of like whatever you knew this was going to happen and mm. another part of you is like oh shit like she actually didn't get it like she was really mm. going to honor Rhaenyra being queen until six hours ago right. basically um and I I kind of was a little bit bored by the chase for Aegon I feel like there was something missing there like what exactly are we right Looking a lot of the here, middle like, of the episode yeah. is, is about sort of these two different camps, one working for Otto, uh, the Hand of the King, Allison's father, um, and one working for Allison, looking for Aegon. And it is, it just feel, felt like an op, like sort of them filling time a little bit. Mm-hmm. I mean, I liked this idea that they were competing with each other and that Allison, that basically this, there's this sense of if you, whoever finds Aegon and positions him to be king kind of controls what happens over the next few days and basically whether he is just sentencing Nira and all of her family to death or if there's a little bit more of an olive branch yeah and it felt a little bit like understanding Aegon right like this is a battle between ultimately like Alicent and Rhaenyra but Aegon is a critical character to understand Right. Like in the past with Game of Thrones, we've always understood who sat on the Iron Throne Mm -hmm. in some way, shape or form, like what motivates them, what they're all about, et cetera. And like with Aegon, it just seems really unclear. Like he doesn't want to rule. He's willing to rape someone. He drinks a lot. He seems to be upset that he's married to a sister. He's going to child fights and he has a lot of bastards. Right. And like, I don't understand the spread. Right. Like it feels like a lot of seeds scattered across the soil. And I don't know what plant is growing from those at all. Like, and so I just wish like maybe a a more clearly defined picture or even foreshadow of exactly what kind of king. And then he hates to rule, but then they chant his name and he's like, yeah, like, I don't know who the fuck you are, bro. Like, what are you? You know, like Amond, I understand. Amon is a very clear character, you know, Aegon right. is a little bit more mysterious. And I, I think that the chase for him bothered me because it was trying to peel the layers of the onion, but I didn't feel like I was like, is this an onion? I don't know what we're looking at. <laughs> mm-hmm. To me, he is essentially this sort of archetype of just this very like deeply unhappy rich boy. And that in a lot of ways he's terrible and monstrous and and does these terrible things. Although, like again, he's raping people and like going to child fights and stuff. But there's also a sense that he's kind of undefined and just kind of really sad and wounded by like his fucked up relationship with his parents. His sense that um, he, you know, that his father chose so you know he's as he says to on the way of the coronation like. Viserys had 20 years to to name me his heir. Why the hell would he do? Like, and and that this, you know, clearly actually hurts him a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And and again, not to say that, oh, like, oh, well, he's, you know, just a victim. He's definitely, I mean, I think that's what's great about Game of the sort of Game of Thrones shows in general is that they can sort of have this complexity to the characters of they're both victims and uh, perpetrators in, in lots of ways. And, and I think that's definitely true. But there is to me a sense of, yeah, we don't know what kind of king he could be, but certainly there's nothing that suggests he would be a particularly good one, but we don't necessarily know that he'd be a particularly tyrannical or or cruel king either. We're just kind of like, who, who knows? But certainly one thing that those the two episodes back to back make clear that I wouldn't have said confidently before is that 
there's no question that Rhaenyra would be the better ruler. No, right. there's no question. Yeah, I don't think it seems like he's just meant to be like wholly unfit. Like I don't think he has anything. I don't. Th- I don't think he wants I it just... either, except for that his mom tells him he should want it, and then he's like, I guess it's yeah. cool. Well, and his mom also tells him he'll die if he doesn't get it, right? So, like, right. I think that's confusing. I mean, I get it. I just wish. I don't like that like, chase, though. Like you mentioned that, I was just like, I don't even boring. understand the stakes. I was like, oh, what? Yeah, what happens? I think is Anthony did a better him? job no. explaining it. Yeah, than like anyone else did, and we also don't really know those characters all that well. Like, mm-hmm. right the people who are going after him. So it's just like, what what's going on here? But I'm also not even that... clear once they do, like, does Otto then, if he wins and gets the guy, for some reason his rule goes and not the I other think ones? Otto, he, you just get in his ear maybe a little bit more, right? Like yeah. in terms of like what you tell him to do in that moment. Uh, but you know, it, it's only like, it's it's kind of the same thing as what happens in episode 10, like who gets to the houses first? basically like who gets in the house's ears first to, right. to but there the stakes are houses. clear and huge right yeah they are they are um i think that my like oh maybe i'm being redundant or whatever but i think my overall issue with Aegon is like it's impossible to watch hot d without comparing to game of thrones right so you like find the moments or the characters that feel familiar and like Tyrion in season one was not like a good guy He was a bad guy, but we liked him because he was interesting and funny. And over the course of the show, he showed just how good he can be when he's Hand of the King and he goes super smart and strategic and he's bashing Joffrey in the face. Joffrey, we know exactly who he is, right? Like he's very clear and defined. Same thing with Jamie. Like Jamie's not particularly a good guy, but he has this arc. And it's like, I don't feel like we even got the start to an arc with Aegon. Like Mm -hmm. he's, he's throwaway. Like, are yeah. we supposed to feel anything for him? Like, I don't even feel like he's particularly bad. I think that's the problem. Like, I know intellectually that he, like, rapes and goes to child fights, but I don't feel like this. I don't feel like I felt about Joffrey, which is like, I right. fucking hate you. Yeah. Like, you are pure evil. Like, he's just nothing. He's just. He just seems like kind of shit and scummy. Yeah, you're just like, yeah. oh, you're just gross. Like, I don't, whatever, but whatever to you. You know, like, but I think that's even worse for someone who's like aiming to be king because you're just like, oh, you're going to be so ineffectual. Like, you're going to, you're not even, but not if you don't feel it in the audience. Like, do you feel that? Like, are you actively worrying about that when you watch scenes with him? Are you just like, whatever? Well, because I'm just like, whatever. Like, I guess he's nothing because he's a puppet anyway. So it's not really like, right. I think that's my main impression is that really Otto and Allison would continue to rule. Right. Not, and to be fair, I don't think we have a sense that they've done that they've done a bad job of it for the you know period when Viserys was pretty much well, out of it as well. Yeah, I mean it's been peace in the land for whatever 150 years or whatever. But the so should we talk about the closing scene to that episode, the Greens episode? So Aegon ascends in the dragon pit. They've been holding Renice hostage, Princess Renice, because they one don't know which way she's gonna support they don't know what's up with corliss and whether he'll support anything or if he'll even live and they don't want her warning rhaenyra or whatever so they hold her hostage they plan for this really public ascension and coronation for Aegon, and then renice gets her dragon and crashes the party but doesn't kill them mm-hmm. right <laughs> which in the but- moment Twitter sort of was make- a flame. <laughs> I mean, the show's over, right? The show's right. over, but yeah. that's what I thought. And that's never what you want to think. As a I viewer. thought that immediately too. I was like, what? You don't what want to think doing? like, oh, she didn't do it because then the show would be over. Right. Right. Yeah. And I don't think I'll ever understand her justification. No, her explanation later was stupid and bad and I didn't like it. Well, no. I mean, I think that if you get out of here, Anthony, I yeah. don't want to hear it. <laughs> if you have. You know, if, if no one has drawn blood yet, right? And you come out and like, there's basically these people who are distantly related to you, defenseless in front of you. I can understand. And, and you know, that they did imprison her, but they didn't they didn't do anything else to her, right? Um, oh, they were definitely going to kill you, though. Everybody I think knows that. That was including probably her. heading in that direction if she didn't. Well, I, I think actually, well, depends on Otto Allison, versus Allison. Right. I right. think Allison basically would have just put her in a dungeon and and that would have been 
that we haven't seen Allison. Oh, actually, super chill. Yeah. yeah. Just yeah. part of the dungeon. Yeah, Which again, really, not great, but natural, like yeah. compared to Otto, I think she doesn't, she's not quite that ruthless yet. And so I can understand. And, and also that from, as, as Renice says in episode, not just that she doesn't, that it's, she's not in a position to start the war, but that she's not necessarily convinced of which side she's going to take, but she's pissed at them because they, uh, you know, of uh, the, the, the high tower side of the Targaryens, um, because they imprisoned her, but she's not necessarily Team Rhaenyra yet. She gets there by the end of episode ten, but there's a temptation oh, which Corlys articulates she of like let's just bends the knee or baths. Get the fuck crucially. out of here. Yeah, she doesn't, but she does say that she'll follow whatever her husband says. Right. 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 Yeah, my the way and so there's a scene in episode ten where the one of the guards, one of the Eric Eric brothers, um, shows up and, and what is with the crown. Deal with, oh, whatever. That's another <laughs> yeah, weird choice. Not, made. Yeah. And everyone bends the knee except for Renice, and there was definitely some debate. But my sense is that she was just waiting. But right? that by no, because the then there's another scene after that where they made sure to reiterate in case you missed it oh, the first I didn't time, notice where that. everyone did small bows when she entered, and Rhaenyra does not. Renice like, doesn't. Renice does not. Whatever. But, the but she's waiting because she's Corlys. Because Corlys hasn't sworn for her yet, right? Yeah. It's once yeah. it's waiting so she can confer with Corlys, and then they decide together. All right. It almost on. felt. Yeah, yeah. It was a journey. So like there was the bow, which you could have at, uh, at the funeral, which you could have mistaken for. The guards stayed standing. I don't know if you guys noticed right, that. that. The guards yeah, yeah. didn't did bow. So like, and Renice was you. in her armor. So you're like, oh, that could have been confusing. Maybe she's right. like a guard. And then the second one, which you're talking about, Daryl, everyone does a small bow except for Renice. And then you're like, oh, that solidifies the non-kneel before. And then there's the scene where Damon and Rhaenyra are having it out. And Rhaenyra says to clear the room. And Renice gives Rhaenyra a look that to me said like i'm leaning in your direction like i'm starting to come around and i could see myself following you and then obviously corliss and renice have a conversation about and renice seems to be buying for rhaenyra at that point she's like yeah she's the only one who's showing any restraint she's the only one with a level head in this situation i'm for it and then corliss calls for it and it seems like that's the decision done but it is a journey it's like a progression you know yeah before we fully get into the Rhaenyra stuff, I did want to just echo a point that you made, Jordan, of talking about how they handle that transition to, oh, we are really going to be staging essentially this coup attempt. And I, I was worried that they would make a bigger deal about the Allison misunderstanding Viserys on his deathbed than they did. And I liked that it was like, to her, it was really important. Everyone else was like, Okay, great. This was well, the plan all along. Doesn't matter. Is, we're just going to... Mm-hmm. Sure, sure, he said it, wink, wink. If that's what you want to tell people, <laughs> go for it. And I thought that was exactly the right way to handle it. Oh, yeah, it t- me too. Because it could end up being like a central plot point for like five seasons. And it yeah. might. They might bring it back. Oh, but that. like, it didn't seem to overpower or overshadow the entire episode and the movements of others, you know? Yeah. We should also talk about Damon. Yeah, the uh, everybody's favorite abusive. The most unpredictable. I mean, he's not, he's predictable in that he will always be unpredictable, but like Mm -hmm. he seems to convince me every time, right? Like he swings to evil and I'm like, you're evil forever. And then 10 minutes later, he swings to like protective and doting. And you're like, wow, what a softy. And then he swings back and I, he gets me every time and I don't know why, but I did read an interesting article where the showrunner, one of not, not mm. one of the two guys, but one of the like lower level producers, Sarah Hess, I think one of the, that's who writers. it was. Yeah. Who's I think, the number two writer on the show. From what I yeah. She's great. And she was like, <laughs> she was like, even the good things he does are for himself. And once you like internalize that, it becomes confusing how everyone's like, oh, daddy, daddy right. for Damon. Right. Which is, I mean, I think that's a normal, it's normal when we watch, like, especially TV, I mean, with any story we engage, but especially TV when it's like over so much time, like we just have this sort of intense identification with characters. We we root with characters, but it well, also- he, he always seems like, I think what he had a turn, it's like really 
when he be, when he went so to bat for for God Rhaenyra. damn stupid fucking names yeah Rhaenyra um, <laughs> the names are impossible to keep straight in the show in a way that was just we taught us for it Game of Thrones I could keep the names straight I cannot do it on this show yeah yeah but they like that seemed to be like where he got his hero turn and everybody was kind of like now I'm all for him but it's it still seems suspect to me and in this last episode the whole time I was like. I was still suspicious of him. They didn't really give you anything overt to be suspicious of, but oh, I was no, like, they did give you in the last episode. <laughs> he he, wait, stra- wait. he like strangled he choked his wife, and he didn't well, kill her. So there's uh, that. But still, like you missed the part missed where that. he choked her. That's great. <laughs> he didn't he, give you anything suspect to be too worried about. He's like fucking strangling her to death in front of a fireplace. And he's strangling because the whole time. Why did he do like, it? Let's start this fucking war. So let's he did go, it let's because. Go, let's go. Yeah, well, they're obviously opposed in their strategies, right? Like, yeah. Damon wants to, like, strike first. He yeah, wants, she wants to go to be for it. And she's like, let's do this as cleanly and as calmly as possible. But then she brings up the Song of Ice and Fire. Oh, yes, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And... Oh, yeah. Okay, I remember this. Basically, he's like, triggered so by know. the idea that Viserys has always ruled with the idea of these like omens and dreams and yeah. not based on what was best in the moment for the realm and like loses his temper, basically. And I, it feels like he's saying, like, you're not going to do it like Viserys did it. Like, I yeah. can't sit by and watch that again. And then she was like, he didn't tell you. I remember. Yeah. That. Yeah. Yeah. He doesn't like totally betray her, but it doesn't come off particularly well in this episode. And and yeah. to Jordan's point, I think that's, I mean, that I think he is supposed to kind of, you know, he's capable of both. That's, My point was like, I thought he had given up his thing of the, thr- like his personal desire of the throne, but I kind of don't have, I kind of suspect he hasn't, but I don't know what that, I don't well, think that has been expressed yet. Right. It's impossible not to make this comparison for me personally, because I'm such a fan of the crown, but it almost feels like a very similar, like a season one crown, Matt Smith. I was thinking Prince about Philip, Because... Mm. It's not that he, I don't think that he ever actually imagines that he will sit the Iron Throne, but he does imagine a partnership of equals, I think, with Rhaenyra at worst. And I think, you know, Rhaenyra is going to, is maybe less um, strict about it than Queen Elizabeth is in The Crown, where she's like straight up like, I'm your fucking queen. Mm-hmm. You know, at a certain point, she tips the scales. And maybe we just haven't gotten to that point with Rhaenyra because it's only been like three days that she's been quote unquote queen. Right. But like that is coming to a head in a way that's very obvious. And I think Sarah has the same. I think it was the same thing I read where she basically said like their relationship is a central plot line in season two in yeah, terms that, of like how they're sense. navigating that, you know? Yeah. Yeah, because she seems like at first, uh, she ha- she has to adjust to the sudden leveling up. Like she doesn't just step into it immediately, and you can Which see her discomfort with that. Yeah, but I think there's also like there's that part of it, but then there's also the part where like she's clearly been preparing for this forever, so she's very good at other aspects of like leadership and ruling right away. And I think those like that. So this was the first time she was sympathetic to me in this kind of whole show um, is when she actually accepts the mantle responsibility. I mean, leading up to and I think uh, the the interesting thing will be where they go from here, because it's like, oh, look, she's like her dad and that she's like a considerate, just ruler who probably is whatever. And then they're like, oh, but we chomped your kid up. And then she's like, oh, mad face. (laughs) I think the direction happened now. I have to just pause this conversation for a second because I do want to talk about her taking up the mantle or whatever. But the direction of that final scene where she gets the news with her back to the camera is like so beautiful and perfect. I like I was absolutely enthralled by it. And it did give like Hunger Games vibes a little bit. Did you guys ever see the one where she finds out? Yeah, she finds out at the very end of this of the movie that they took what's his face pita pita yeah and her face like goes from crying to like i'm gonna fucking kill you in one scene which i mean jennifer lawrence is a goddess but um yeah i i thought that that was done really well but anyway we were talking about her taking up the mantle i mean i think it would have been probably easy and on its face for her to be like i'm queen now 
And I do think it shows some level of like, it's almost like anybody who wants to be president probably isn't going to be a good president because they're Mm -hmm. like narcissistic enough to like think they can be president. Right. Right. And so like anyone who isn't panicked about being the monarch is probably not going to be a good monarch. So it's like Mm -hmm. a a good sign that she's like, right. Ooh, this is big. Right. Um, but I did, I think there was one scene that bothered me a lot and it didn't come off the way that I think the showrunners wanted it to, which was the first conversation when they're around the table, basically talking strategy mm-hmm. and she looks kind of confused and Damon's like, do this and do that. And it's almost like Rainier has never had a strategic military conversation in her life, which maybe she hasn't because they've come from a time of peace, but you'd think she would get some fucking training on that. Like she looks confused by the jargon more so than like nervous about making decisions. My take on it was that she was more like, I mean, this is the first time she's come into a room basically. And everyone has looked at her as the queen, not as the heir. And so it's, it's adjusting to that. And, and that Damon is trying essentially to take advantage of that and, you know, just be like, great, we're going to war. This is how we're going to do it. And it takes her a minute to kind of get to the point where she's like, no, we're not mm-hmm. doing what you're saying. I'm the queen. This is we're going to be a lot more cautious about this. But I understand the reading that you're talking about. I, I I saw it a little bit differently. Yeah, I mean, it became more clear over the course of the episode that that's what I was supposed to be feeling in that moment. But I think it was like the opening to that sequence of emotions that they were trying mm-hmm. to elicit from us, and it didn't hit at first. I needed to be reassured or adjusted by the show into that way of thinking. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think it's fun. I mean, hopefully we see Jace on his journey. Cause I do for all that I said about having it be focal to one house, it is cool to go to storm's end and see what's his face Baratheon or whatever. And it would be cool to go to Winterfell. <laughs> yeah. And see them. That you would know? be if they don't just come back and be like, and that all happened. Right, and the Starks and the... Yeah. Uh, shit, I can't... Who's it? The Airy? The... Yeah, the Vale. The Vale of Aaron. The Aarons, yeah. yeah, yeah. Sworn for the target for, for Rhaenyra. But, yeah, but I did like the dragon stuff. That was great. Because it was like... The, my favorite part about that was they were like... Both like, oh yeah, you can't control your dragons. Dummies. Dragons are... <laughs> dragons and they're they know you're idiots and they'll do their own thing and one of yeah i mean they probably would have been fine away from each other but if we're trying to fuck with each other they're gonna they're animals right like yeah yeah. well and you're not good enough yet you don't know you think you're dragon riders you don't know what you don't even know also one of you doesn't even have the right bloodline maybe oh i guess partly no no half 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 whatever that's right right i i mean i thought those that final scene was amazing because it was shot like the, I mean, that whole sequence where he goes to Storm's End and the whole, I mean, you're already like, this seems a bad. little nervous. Yeah. He's like nine. Yeah, they do some great like, uh, pathetic fallacy in there. They're just like, guess what? Storm. It's a nasty yeah. ass storm. It's raining. It's going to be bad. Right. And, uh, and then <laughs> when he land, and you just, you get the sense that he's very much overmatched. So like he's, you know, going as, as a diplomat, but there is a sense of, well, because he he's riding over and dragon he's like, oh no he's going alone <laughs> the There's other no huge dragon is here <laughs> right and when you <laughs> see the other dragon because you're just like this is going to go badly but how and then you see the other dragon you're like yeah. oh shit it's kind of like when they show like a lightning strike in the ocean in some shows yeah. and you see like a giant whale and you're like whoa yeah. like it was this really overwhelming moment but i like that and, he and- went i mean he went anyways Good, what is right? Damon's eye made? Because I would turn around. Oh, some cool Damon's. jewel. I like that a lot. Same letter, slightly different order. Diamonds? No, aim I meant Amon, not Damon. Wait, that guy's oh, sorry, name is yeah. Amon? What is, oh, yeah, Amon, sorry. Fucking Who knows? A. Even I'm messing it up. So what is Amon's eye made of? Sapphire, I think, is what a yeah, lot of the recaps are. It saying. looks like a sapphire, but it's cool. It is cool. But, Probably can't see anything out of it. But, no, I mean, his eye, yeah, oh, he's wow. blind in one eye. That's the idea. <laughs> but then Anthony, there's this, he totally fell for it. This amazing <laughs> shot where, uh, so there's like this whole negotiation where, who, like you said, what's his face, Baratheon? It's like, well, what are you offering me? You have nothing to offer me? Seriously? I'm not a dog that just comes when you call. 
but he's like, also no violence here. Come on, guys. Like this is, you yeah. know, you both here as messengers in, in peace. Um, and then he gets back on the dragon and he's being chased. And then you see, again, I can't, I can't remember the fucking dragon names, but they are. <laughs> Vagar flying above the small, like his dragon. Yeah, and nice you just too. realize just how him. much bigger he is. And it is amazing. Just so yeah. terrifying. The whole yeah. thing is great. And you think, oh, maybe he got away because he's in the little cracks. Isn't it, he, go, he breaks yeah. through to the clear. Oh, that part too. Yeah. First they do that. And you're like, oh, cool. And then he breaks through to the blue sky. And you're like, oh, cool. Better. But then no. Poor but little like, Arayo gets eaten. Ar- 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 Arax, I think. Okay. Um, Doesn't matter. He's dead. <laughs> yeah, he's gone now. We don't even need to know. His little but... bits. Maybe he survived. No. No, no one survived. <laughs> and I mean, I do think it was interesting because it felt like Amon really was going to try to kill Luke. Like, maybe, again, I didn't read this right. Maybe it was just like all game to him. But the fact that he killed him and then it was like no no oh shit no 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 <laughs> no he didn't seem he didn't seem like he wanted to at all he like he seemed genuine about like oh like i knew this wasn't supposed to happen and also i couldn't stop it in the end because i was like stop hey listen to me listen to me dragon listen to me and the dragon was like no no I'm no i'm gonna fucking kill up. this yeah this he dude. fucking yeah blasted me in my face with his little but blast was also not by design blast was no, also it like wasn't. hey don't accidental blast. Like yeah. what a dumbass dragon the little one was. I mean. <laughs> yeah, what yeah, do you think like you're gonna do? Whole, your whole instinct should be get the fuck out of here. Yeah, how, oh, I guess like, I'll use fire on this dragon, which also has fire and doesn't give a shit about fire. <laughs> it can fit you in its mouth. Like, <laughs> yeah, this is not good. But I mean, it does speak to how a lot of in a lot of the interactions between the two sides of this next generation there it's it's like violence is always like right below the surface and maybe it's not lethal violence but it gets really you know the obviously obviously overshadowing all of this is the fact that Amon was like blinded as a kid because they had this fight that like got really brutal really fast yeah well, it always feels like a little bit of accidental escalation like it always right. feels like oh yeah one, that no too, one yeah. ever they never start their interactions with i'm gonna fucking kill you they right. start in this like very childish, immature way, but there's no, there's no reins on it. There's no, there's never any reins on what they're willing to do to one another because of the way that they're raised and because of their entitlement and all of these things. And so it just always boils over. Right. And that like in the previous fight, like that, I think it was a rock or something that he had, he, like, he was able to grab a rock and like cut his face. He was like, well, you're riding dragons. Like, what do you think is going to happen when, right. you, when you start fighting? Yeah. So now, now it's all. They're all forces go of nature. Shit. The dragons. They're not your fickle <laughs> playthings for to be in. toyed with. <laughs> dropping in with those keen insights. <laughs> <laughs> Any final thoughts on House of the Dragon season one? No. <laughs> no notes. No, I mean, I I've, g- <laughs> I've given my thoughts so extensively. I just don't feel like there's much that I can say. Yeah, I liked it, and I will continue watching it. It's it is a weird one where I'm I'm still unable to tease out like whether it's properly good in its own right or just like I mean it's I kind of it's the a Star Wars we can problem. Properly answer. Yeah, we have to look at it in revert in the rear view mirror. Although speaking of the Star Wars thing, Andor and I cannot say this enough is just top to bottom amazing. It's like coincidence that it's a Star Wars thing. But it is an amazing program through and through, right? And everyone should watch it. Um, okay, that's what I, that's what my thoughts on Game of Thrones. I've been hearing House that from the a lot dragons. of people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good show. I'm not super excited to watch season two, but I am, I, and you're I'm wrong. Like at peace with the fact that I will watch it if only because, if only because I'm doing this podcast with Jordan. And and it is well done. I mean, I think the, the I first mean we're finally really gonna well be done. there. You're gonna eat your words there because the we're finally gonna be, gonna be there. Yeah, exactly. Like this was the one that you weren't excited to watch in hindsight. Yeah. That's, that's well, if you've seen House of the Dragon and have thoughts you want to share, shoot us an email. Original content pod at gmail.com. That's original content pod at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at original content. 
And we always appreciate it when you subscribe and leave us a positive review in Apple Podcasts or the podcast app of your choice. Thank you so much for listening. Daryl and Jordan, see you later. Bye-bye. Peace.